Good morning. Protests in Germany over plans to condemn a village and dig an open pit coal mine. We hear exclusively from an organizer of the mass action. The House leadership plans a new committee. Democrats say it's an investigation of the investigators. And the Nassau County GOP calls on one of its own to resign. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durianzo with the news for Thursday morning, January 12th, 2023. Peruvian authorities place a curfew on the Puno region on Tuesday after at least 47 people were killed in violent clashes between anti-government protesters and security forces. Former Peruvian President Pedro Castillo was impeached last month over corruption allegations despite a last-ditch bid to dissolve Congress. His vice president, Dina Bularte, was sworn in as the country's first female president. Bullardi moved to bring forward elections by April 2024, but Castillo's backers view her rise to power as illegitimate. The government issued a state of emergency after demonstrations started in December. Meanwhile, hundreds of climate activists took to trees, platforms, and streets of a village in western Germany to try and stop a plan to expand an open pit coal mine. <laughs> The standoff between police and protesters followed Monday's decision by a regional court rejecting a last-ditch attempt by the activists to stay in the hamlet of Lutzeroth near Cologne. Wednesday's protest began peacefully with activists preparing to slow down the police as they methodically cleared the strangely abandoned village. Occupiers readied themselves in trenches. They self-dug and on top of tall tripods erected along the roads to the village. Others locked arms in long lines to prevent police and heavy machinery from getting through. A result of an energy crisis caused by Moscow's invasion of NATO-backed Ukraine, the new mine would replace natural gas once imported from Russia, now cut off by sanctions and war. But activists who are determined to keep out the cops and stop the mine say it's time to stop carbon emissions now, and they say it's still possible to stop the mine. Activist Ronnie Zeppelin says staying in the village is the last chance to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And then Zeppelin adds the coal won't be needed at all. It's close to Cologne and it's called the Rhineland. And the Rhineland is a region where a lot of lignite is in the ground and where RWE, a big uh, company, was first a state company, is now a private company, is mining this coal. RWE has three mines in the Rhineland region and a lot of power plants, and they are together the biggest source of CO2 in uh, Europe. We are at 1.2 degrees global warming right, right now. We don't see any stop in emissions with the current political system, even though the Green Party is in the parliament right now. We see the urgency to stop emitting more fossil fuels. And this is what we try to do in uh, blocking the destruction of Lutzerath because underneath the village and in the surrounding fields there are 280 million tons of coal and we want them to be prevented from being burned. And this is why we block the village and resist against the police taking us out. There was a legal battle that was uh, lost, wasn't there? Yes, there was a legal battle that was lost because the court said there are no laws yet to do climate protection with. The legal court was about its common interest to to take the private property of for uh, coal mining. So they were seizing private property? Yes, from the people who were living in the village before. There was a farmer that lived in the village 
and he was supposed to be dislocated and his uh, property been taken by the company because there is an old law from the 19th century that says it's legal to take the property of people if it's of interest of the German state. And the thought case was about this, if this is still appropriate to take this property or if, since we have a climate protection law, climate protection should be seen higher. And the court said, we don't have enough laws to decide for the climate, so we want the politicians to decide about it. Large numbers, I saw the videos, large numbers of people, so many people, they seem to be running across a field with the officers chasing after them. What was that? Usually people try to do massive disobedience here, like they do sitting blockades and technical blockades, like that it takes more time to take them out of the village. By doing so, they often face police brutality and violence. Right now we have the situation that several people who are sitting in blockades are cut out of supply of water, of food, of medics. The medics are forbidden to go in the occupation right now. And yeah, we see this as a heavy crime by the police to like isolate people from what they need to fulfill their basic needs. That is brutality and violence against them. People were climbing poles and chaining themselves to structures in order to slow down the evacuation of the area. Yes. What is the purpose of a fight? In the end, it seems the police will get their way because they have the, the overwhelming force and the, and the violence. We are still planning a big demonstration at the weekend, and we expect like many thousands of people to come. And we hope um, that enough people gather and show that they are against RWE destroying our basis of living and that we yeah, can build enough pressure from below to shift the opinion of the politicians again. And the news reports of this country talk about nuclear power, that, oh, this is what you get because you didn't want nuclear power in Germany. We're going to dig coal because you blocked our nuclear power construction. The people protested. Yeah. And then we have this war going on in Ukraine. It's an international yeah. response. Yes. Since we are in the middle of climate crisis, and climate crisis has been caused by a system that is based on endless growth, we only can solve this crisis by taking it at its root. So it means we have to stop with an economic system that is based on endless growth and therefore endless resource extraction and endless production of trash as CO2. We have to use less energy and we only have to use energy for what we really need and not for profit production. Anything you'd like to add? Our fight here in uh, Lützerath is an international fight as the climate crisis is an international or like global problem and we stand in solidarity with all the other struggles, especially the struggles of the most affected people by the climate crisis as for example the Yucca in Colombia they are affected by the climate crisis and by fossil fuel companies as well. And yeah, we stand side by side with them and we also learned a lot from them. Activist Ronnie Zeppelin. Utility company RWE reached a deal with the regional government, the villages to be destroyed, in return for ending coal use by 2030 rather than 2038. The protest at Lutzeroth is being watched carefully by environmentalists worldwide. Protests were held in support of the occupiers in the South American nation of Colombia. 
And in Washington, aides to President Joe Biden say they found a new batch of classified documents at a second location. It was the second disclosure in three days of a trove of documents apparently belonging to Biden when he was vice president. The first batch was discovered at his former office as the Penn-Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement. The second batch is from a yet unknown location. On Tuesday, Biden told reporters in Mexico City he was surprised to learn his lawyers found the classified documents. They found some documents in a box in a locked cabinet, or at least a closet. And as soon as they did, they realized there were several classified documents in that box. And they did what they should have done. They immediately called the archives, immediately called the archives, turned them over to the archives. And I was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. But I don't know what's in the documents. I've, my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. And we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review, and which I hope will be finished soon. And uh, there will be more detail at that time. President Biden on Tuesday. There are millions of classified documents belonging to the United States government on every imaginable subject classified by who can see them classified documents are stored in special containers to keep them away from prying eyes and properly possessing classified material can be punished severely on capitol hill Republicans, now in the majority of the House of Representatives, use their power to push through legislation that could turn doctors into felons. The bill has no chance of passage in the Democrat-controlled Senate or to be signed by a pro-choice president. It's meant to protect an aborted fetus if it's born alive, a rare event, but it would also present a list of penalties that could apply to doctors. Meanwhile, newly elected House Speaker Kevin McCarthy also moved to appease the hard right-wing faction of his party with a select committee to investigate the select committee that investigated the January 6th Capitol invasion. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries used the abortion vote to brand the GOP as doing nothing on major issues while pursuing personal vendettas. On Monday, you pass a bill designed to allow the wealthy, the well-off, and the well-connected to cheat on their taxes, subsidize the lifestyles of the rich and shameless, benefit millionaires and billionaires, not working-class families, not middle-class families, not low-income families, not veterans, not everyday Americans, the wealthy, the well-off, and the well-connected. That was on Monday. Then on Tuesday, you come to the floor and you pass a select Committee on Insurrection Protection, a committee that is clearly designed, in the words of some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, to obstruct justice. And now on Wednesday, you come to the floor. Nothing on inflation, nothing on quality of life issues for the American people, nothing even on public safety. But you come to the floor as part of your march to criminalize abortion care, to impose a nationwide ban. Minority leader Hakeem Jeffries and California Representative Adam Schiff is facing possible removal from the House Intelligence Committee. Along with other Trump opponents today, he denounced what he calls the investigation of the investigators. 
Mr. Speaker, I rise in strong opposition to the Republican Select Subcommittee to investigate deep state conspiracy theories. And if you had any doubt about what this committee is really about, about its true focus, my colleague from Montana just confirmed this is all about deep state nonsense. Republicans claim without merit that this subcommittee will investigate the so-called weaponization of the federal government, but what it's really intended to do is to undermine the legitimate investigation of President Trump's incitement of a violent attack on this building, on this capital, on this citadel of democracy, an investigation that implicates some of the very members of this body who want to sit on that committee. California Representative Adam Schiff. The vote came a week before the 50th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision. That was overturned by the Supreme Court. Next week, abortion opponents will be in D.C. for their annual March for Life. And members of the Nassau County Republican Committee on Wednesday called on Representative George Santos to resign, saying the scandal-plagued congressman ran a campaign of deceit. Nassau County GOP Chairman Joseph Cairo. George Santos's campaign last year was a campaign of deceit, lies, and fabrication. He deceived the voters of the 3rd Congressional District. He deceived the members of the Nassau County Republican Committee, elected officials, his colleagues, candidates, his opponents, and even some of the media. His lies were not mere fibs. He disgraced the House of Representatives, and in particular, his fabrications went too far. Many groups were hurt, specifically I look at those families that were touched by the horrors of the Holocaust and feel for them. He has no place in the Nassau County Republican Committee, nor should he serve in public service, nor as an elected official. He's not welcome here at Republican headquarters for meetings or at any of our events. As I said, he's disgraced the House of Representatives, and we do not consider him one of our Congress people. Today, on behalf of the Nassau County Republican Committee, I am calling for his immediate resignation. Nevertheless, moments after Cairo made his remarks on Wednesday, Santos said he had no plans to tender his resignation. Will you step down? A reporter asked the congressman. I will not, he responded. And Santos was adamant on Twitter, writing, I was elected to serve the people, not the party and politicians. Republican whip Steve Scalise says Santos will be handled internally. Well, you saw him seated last week. There were no challenges to that. This is something that's being handled internally. Obviously, there were concerns about uh, what we had heard. And so we're going to have to sit down and talk to him about it. And that's something that we're going to deal with, uh, just like there's a lot of other things we're going to deal with. Republican whip Steve Scalise. Santos has admitted to lying about his biography, where he attended college, whether he has Jewish roots, and claiming his mother's death was connected to 9-11. You're listening to the news from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo. Closer to home. On Tuesday, New York Governor Kathy Hochul unveiled an agenda for 2023 during her second State of the State address. Hochul, New York's first woman governor, came to the office when former Governor Andrew Cuomo, also a Democrat, resigned over an alleged sex abuse scandal. She made 147 different proposals, including a hike in the $15 an hour minimum wage. But not all Governor Hochul's promises were popular with progressives, including changes to the state landmark 2019 bail reform law and plans for $1 billion to add hundreds of beds to the state's mental health system. 
we are prepared to invest $1 billion making critical policy changes to fully meet the mental health needs of our people. It's about time. Let's get it done. We can do this together. Let's get it done. Our people need this. Our residents are calling on us to do this. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. Right now, we have 3,200 New Yorkers struggling with severe mental illness or addiction who are living on the streets or in our subways. At the same time, we have insufficient number of inpatient psychiatric beds and services. We will add 1,000 inpatient psychiatric beds by funding 150 from the state and bringing 850 psych beds and hospitals back online. Because that'll be half. That is more than half of the beds we lost since 2014, when all the disinvestment was happening. And they'll serve over 10,000 New Yorkers every year. We also know that supportive housing is an important tool for prevention and recovery. And that's why my plan proposes building 3,500 residential units supported by intensive mental health services. And we'll make sure that when patients move from one kind of care to the other, they don't get left behind. They don't fall off. Our plan requires facilities to discharge high-risk patients into intensive wraparound services. Wraparound services now. And finally, we're going to focus the mental health space on our children because too many schools provide no level of mental health support. And our children need preventative services now to stop them from needing intensive services in the future. Governor Kathy Hochul. Other proposals include pledging to create 800,000 new housing units and money to support the Metropolitan Transit Authority. Meanwhile, Mayor Eric Adams has been advancing his own plan for New York City, heavy on deregulation of real estate and increasing the power of City Hall to site development projects. The mayor's plan is called City of Yes, and it's a scheme to reduce regulations and make it easier for developers to build. While the mayor has been touting his determination to build affordable housing, so have other mayors, and construction is still lagging. On Thursday, a town hall on the mayor's City of Yes plan, sponsored by WBAI Radio, was held by Jillian Jonas, who's producer of Michael G. Haskins' WBAI Morning Show. Several regular guests spoke on the issue of gentrification to more than 100 participants. Activist Alicia Boyd says City of Yes leaves too many people out. Well, the city, CBC's most ambitious proposals the first one was to eliminate court challenges. They didn't want anyone to challenge any anybody in court, even though they are mostly 99% successful in court. They didn't even want that 1%. The other idea was to eliminate the community from land use procedure. So just remove the community's voice. They wanted to eliminate environmental reviews so that they can just get ahead and change zoning and not have to go through the environmental process. They wanted to eliminate city council deference. And this deference happens when development is happening inside of a local city council's person. 
district and they have the city council has to vote on it and normally what happens is the city council will vote according to the local council person they want to get rid of that deference it would just be the city council voting and not paying attention to the local city council person and then they wanted to create a five panel, a four panel group that could overturn the city council's uh, negative vote. So if the city council had a negative vote and didn't want uh, a development project because they're you know, supporting the local council person, there would be this four panel group, including the mayor, the borough president and the city council and, and they would override the city council. And then the other one was to streamline environmental, the, the environmental review process. So those were some of the major overarching ideas that CBC came up with. Activist Alicia Boyd. Attorney Jeff Baker is represented both sides of the city's ongoing development wars. He says the city of Yes has many good aspects, but fails the transparency test because it tries to get around regulations using technicalities sort of the legal frameworks of what's being proposed here. The biggest issue is that I see in what's being proposed here is a wholesale and enormous expansion of the secret type two list. The type two list are actions that do not require any further environmental review. They are determined as a matter of law that individually taken forward, they have no chance of the significant environmental impact, so you don't do an environmental review. All of the projects that are currently under both the state and the city type two list are very minor projects or relatively minor projects. A commercial project that involves 4,000 square feet or less of gross, a gross floor area is a type two action. The mayor seems to be proposing, although it's not explicit in the 111 principles, that they want to exempt residential projects of 200 units or less. Now, in a city like New York and where it is, 200 units may in some instances qualify or could be considered, you know, as per se not going to have a significant impact on the environment. But the problem is, is they're not addressing the cumulative impacts of if you have several of these projects within a one, two, three, four square block area that affects a whole neighbor and then neighborhood and has impacts on demands for community services, traffic, um, impacts on infrastructure, public parks, libraries, etc. Um, it could be real problematic. Attorney Jeff Baker. Another panel member is Hunter College Professor Emeritus Tom Angotti. He says many of the mayor's plans are the result of the anti-gentrification movement in the city, but there's still a lot that needs to be done. Uh, professor Angotti is a Professor Emeritus of Urban Policy and planning at Hunter College, and he's also from the Kiwi Grad Center. We have to step back and say that we won. We won a lot of things. During the eight years of the de Blasio administration, uh, the city, city planners were con convinced, and City Hall was convinced, that the way they were going to get affordable housing was to rezone in, in communities of color, low-income communities, who they knew had been neglected in previous zoning rezonings, the only way they were going to do it was to get um, get people in the community activated and promise affordable housing. Every one of those communities, to a different degree, fought back 
And we won. We won the battle that you can't, you, you, that's not the way to improve neighborhoods, and particularly neighborhoods that have been neglected for decades and, and centuries. What you really had to do was work with communities in a deep understanding of what's needed. Uh, and then, if you need zoning to implement some of that, you can all go together to the City Planning Commission and get the place rezoned. Since the Bloomberg administration, in particular, it's always been done top-down. And rezoning was supposed to be the solution. It was the primary solution under de Blasio to get affordable housing, even though we knew that the affordable housing that was promised wasn't truly affordable. Hunter College Professor Emeritus Tom Angotti. Maureen Teague Coates is an environmental lawyer. She says the city isn't doing enough to protect the air and water and that developers treat the use of natural resources as a right. That should be a privilege. Development has always been about how best to own, control, appropriate, or expropriate air or water or land or various combinations thereof because they represent wealth. This is molecules, not morality. Part of what we're dealing with here is that although the zoning code was designed perhaps to be preventive in terms of taking these kinds of public value assets, um, height restrictions and control the use of, of light, uh, access to light and air and those sorts of things, uh, it also embodied what became uh, a, a construct, which was if you owned the surface, there was an enormous amount of that wealth that you were just entitled to have, you know, by virtue of the zoning code. Now, I would suggest that the very concept of the zoning code should be rethought because it already allocates an enormous amount of air and potentially water and as well as soil that we haven't really thought through whether we still want anybody to have or whether we want to maintain those in the public trust. Maureen T. Coates is an environmental lawyer. You can hear more on the anti-gentrification movement on WBAI radio. The program is Living for the City, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. And that's some of the news for Thursday morning, January 12, 2023. The news is produced by this reporter. You can hear the news at pauldurienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>